0: All right, today, according to my count, is the 17th study and the general theme, the story of Joseph. And today we're going to deal with a really tough, tough subject for you to think about. It's titled, Suffering in Silence, Victory Over Slander. Suffering in Silence and Victory Over Slander. Our last study concerned the great temptation. Joseph was accosted by Potiphar's wife, Mrs. Potiphar, we'll call her, and uh, he had bought Joseph at a slave market, and for at least ten years, he resisted her advances. The cause of those advances was satanic No doubt the great tempter himself was behind it. The curse of it was bound up in the temptation. If Joseph had succumbed to that woman, the whole purpose of God regarding Abraham and the seed of Abraham, the Messiah, would have come to naught. The cure of it was found in the strength God gave Joseph in refusing her advances, The call was when Joseph called out to the servants to lie, uh, when Mrs. Potiphar called out to the servants to lie about Joseph, and then the consequences of it. The consequences of it, Joseph must suffer. Let's read here in Genesis chapter 39. It says, verse 6, that he, referring to Potiphar, left all he had in Joseph's hand. He knew not of anything that he had except the bread which he did eat. Joseph was a goodly person and well favored, and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold... My master does not know what is it with me in the house. He has committed everything that he has to my hand. There is none greater in the house than I. Neither has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Well, that went on for a number of years, as I pointed out to you. Joseph was 30 years old when he was made governor of Egypt. He was 17 years old when he was sold to Potiphar. He was in Potiphar's house 10 or more years. So he had to deal with this for a decade or more. So she persisted, but the day came when Joseph ran out of the house because uh, of her uh, persistence And in verse 12, she caught him by the garment and said, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand, and he fled, and he got out of the house. Then in verse 16, she laid up his garment, Joseph's garment, by her until her husband, his Lord, came home, and she told him exactly what she had told the Hebrew servants. And verse 19, "...it came to pass when his master, Potiphar, heard the words of his wife, when she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did the servant, thy servant to me that his wrath was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison." May the Lord add His blessings to the reading of His Word, and let God's people say, Praise the Lord. And you may be seated. So the last of those alliterative points that I gave you, the cause, the curse, the cure, the call, the last point was the consequences. The consequences of all this, Joseph had to suffer. What were they? Were for doing the right thing, Number one, his character was maligned. You know, we have that saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But that is not true. (laughs) Your character can be murdered by the words of others. His character was maligned. Number two, he was removed from the high position in Potiphar's estate. Everything was going well, he was in charge of everything, and he was removed from that position. So as I have repeatedly said, his stock went from $1,000 a share to zero, and his company went out of business. And then in the third place, he lost his freedom entirely, and he was thrown into prison. Now through characters like Joseph, Bible characters like Joseph, we learn a very valuable and almost unknown, generally speaking, truth. This is what it is God's children, God's real children, those who really have trusted Him, they will serve Him because they love Him and not just for His blessings not just for favorable consequences and not for applause. They will serve him because they love him. And let me add this, they will serve him whether anyone sees them or not, assists them or not, or praises them or not. And that is tough, because a lot of times you have to do it alone. But let me tell you something, nobody saw and nobody appreciated anything Joseph did but the Lord. And it seems that the more zealous that he became for the Lord, the worse things got for him. He had no one to encourage him, he had no one to pray with him, he had no one to pray for him, he had no one to weep with him, he had no one to stand up for him. I can sum up his life in three words. The pit, Potiphar, and prison. That's his life up to this point right here. He was put in a pit by his own brothers who had planned to murder him, but he decided, they decided that they could keep from killing him and make some money off of him, and so they they sold him, they got rid of him. And then he was sold a second time by the Ishmaelites, to whom he had been sold by his brothers. He was sold to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, an Egyptian who was a sun worshiper. And then thirdly, he was thrown in prison by Potiphar on account of the testimony of his wife, who claimed that Joseph tried to rape her. And that's why we read here in verse 20, And Joseph's master took him and put him in prison. But notice what Exodus says. Put him in prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. He was there. You ought to emphasize that word if you have this translation. He was there at that certain place in the prison. Now, as I have repeatedly pointed out to you, Joseph is a young man, and he's a young man who is in, as we say in the South, he is a heap of trouble. So ask this question, is this fair? Is this right? What has he done to deserve this? You know, we sing a hymn. The hymn writer says, I will be with thee, the Lord says. I will be with thee, thy troubles to bless and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. I will be with thee, thy troubles to bless and sanctify to thee. I'll make your troubles serve your good and be for my glory and carry out my purpose. Please notice that Joseph was put in, it says again, verse 20, he was put in a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. Now, had you been in Joseph's shoes, could you have convinced yourself, would you have been convinced... That you were there by the good hand of the sovereign God. How many times do we have to remind ourselves that there are no accidents with God? And Joseph is our teacher today regarding this revelation. See, Joseph dreamed his dreams at a certain time. Who gave him those dreams the Lord and the Lord gave him those dreams at a certain time Joseph was sent out by his father Jacob to visit his brothers to find his brothers at a certain time and he found them in a certain place right on the road to Egypt And Joseph found his brothers at a certain time and the Bible says in Genesis 37:15 that a certain man told Joseph where his brothers were. And the conspiracy of his brothers followed a certain path. Reuben prevented him from being killed by suggesting that they throw him in a pit, and his plan was to later rescue him. But while he was gone, Judah suggested selling him rather than killing him, And so they did sell him, and Reuben was not able to rescue him, and he was sold to the Ishmaelites. The caravan of the Ishmaelites passed by at a certain time, and of all of the hundreds of thousands of people in Egypt, the Ishmaelites happened to trade with a certain man who had a certain wife, and Potiphar bought Joseph rather than buying someone else. And there's always this little word, but, Don't you know, don't your ears pop up when somebody says, well, I agree with you, but. (laughs) I remember L.R. Shelton down in Algiers' section of New Orleans, which was a rough section. He was a preacher down there for 30-something, 40-something years. Brother Shelton was a different type guy. Somebody said, Brother Shelton, I read in the Bible where you're not supposed to beat up on your flock because you might hurt the sheep with the goats. He said, oh, I can identify the goats pretty easy. He said, well, how is that? He said, well, they'll go around butting. He said, what do you mean? Well, he said, I'll say something. They'll say, but pastor. But, but, but pastor. L.R. Shelton was baptizing a man one time. And the man remembered that he had forgotten his wallet. He had his wallet in his pocket. And just before he went down into baptistry, he reached in his pocket and said, Brother Shelton, let me take this wallet out, put it over here. Brother Sheldon said, no, put it back in there, let's baptize that too. <laughs> so he was a different kind of guy. So I ask you this, you put yourself in Joseph's place. You see, we know the end of the story. We know the end of Joseph's story. We know how it's going to turn out, but Joseph didn't. Only one person knew how it would turn out, and that was the God who decreed it. So let me give you a scenario that you and I both can relate to. Do you know what lies down the road for you? Do you know how it will all turn out? Do you know the end of your story? Only one person knows it, only one person knows how it will turn out, and that is the God who has decreed it. My friends, listen, I don't know why this should surprise anyone, the whole scheme of prophecy is built upon the sovereign, eternal decree of God. We can argue all we want about God's will, and man's will, and free will, But I can assure you that it will all turn out as it has been prophesied, because the God of Heaven knows the end from the beginning, says the prophet Isaiah. So Joseph did this, and he didn't do that. Potiphar did this, and he didn't do that. Joseph's brothers and Potiphar's wife made their choices, and they made their decisions as they were free to make them but every decision and every choice that they all made simply fulfilled the heavenly decree concerning Joseph. Why do you think that the evil forces in the world, and I'm going to try to enlarge on this next Sunday, God willing, and I live, why do you think the evil forces in the world often seem to gain the victory when the world was created by a righteous, a just, and an almighty God. He is righteous, Abel, and unjust Cain. Abel strives with all of his heart to serve the Lord, to please the Lord, while Cain hopes to slip by. And when the Lord accepted the blood offering of Abel, but rejected the vegetables of Cain, Cain was angry, and it came to pass when he and his brother were out in the field alone, Cain rose up against his brother Abel, and he murdered him. You can read that in Genesis chapter 4. Here's a fellow named Naboth. How did God permit that? Naboth, the Jezreelite, a righteous and God-fearing man. He's a husband. He's a father. And then here's a wicked king, Ahab, a wicked and ungodly man who happened to be the king Of Israel, And he has all he could want. He has all the power he wants. He has all the land and all the houses he wants. But he wants a little piece of land that's owned by Naboth. And it's been in Naboth's family for generations. And he asked Naboth, and he said, listen, I'll buy this from you. I'll give you ten times what it's worth, and I'll give you a piece of my land in exchange for it. And Naboth said, I can't sell it. To my family, it's almost sacred. We've had it for generations. I I won't sell it to you. And when Naboth refused to sell it to him, Ahab went home and pouted like a little child. And his wicked wife, Jezebel, came in. She said, what's the matter with you? You look like somebody blew out all your candles on your birthday cake. Well, I wanted that field down there that Naboth has, and he won't sell it to me. And Jezebel said, are you a king or not? I'll take care of this. So she went out and she hired two liars. It calls them son of Baal. they were his son of the devil. She hired them to say that Naboth blasphemed God and the king. That was punishable by death. And so they arrested Naboth And they stoned him to death, and Ahab got his little plot of land that he wanted. Why does the Lord allow that? Why does that happen? We look at our own nation today, and we see lots of wickedness prevailing. And the people of God seem to be shrinking away. Going back and hiding in the caves and dens of the earth, as it were. Why does the Lord allow that? Think about the apostles of our Lord and our Savior. What did they do? Well, they went around preaching and teaching the gospel, telling people about Jesus the Messiah, praying for people, healing people. What did they get for it? Not only were they the brunt of ridicule and the subject of lies, but with one single exception, which was the apostle John, they all died violent deaths. All of them died violent deaths with the exception of John. And so here in Genesis 39, here's a righteous young man named Joseph and he's a victim of slander <clears throat> and lies, and he's a young man who's done nothing wrong and he's been thrown into prison. Now, I told you that this is a tough lesson today, a tough lesson. Let me throw in a question for you at this point. Do you see any recorded complaints in the Bible coming from the mouth of Joseph what Who does he remind you of? Well, I'll tell you who he reminds me of. Listen to this passage of Scripture from Isaiah 53. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and the sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Listen again from Matthew chapter 27 in the New Testament. And when he, Jesus, was accused of the chief priest and the elders, this is beginning in verse 12 of Matthew 27, he answered nothing. When he was accused, he answered nothing. He, then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear these things that they are witnessing against thee? And it says, and he answered him not a word, insomuch that the governor marvelled greatly. And then, when he stood before Herod, it says this in Luke twenty-three, eighty-nine: When Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad; he had heard many things about him. He hoped to see some miracle done by him. Then he questioned him with many words, but Jesus answered him nothing. Now, the only person since Adam fell that's been accused who was not guilty of anything is our Lord Jesus Christ. But he suffered in silence. He suffered in silence. Now, Joseph has been slandered. But so far as I can tell, he said nothing in his own defense. Why? Let me give you three reasons why. There are three reasons why Joseph, neither Joseph nor our Lord Jesus Christ, spoke up to defend themselves. You know, I told you when we began this series on Joseph that more chapters are devoted to Joseph in the book of Genesis than any of the other patriots, than Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, more chapters, and yet he is, he's the most nearly perfect type or picture or figure of our Lord, and yet he is not mentioned one time in the New Testament. Not one time. That is amazing to me. There are three reasons why Joseph and our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom he is a type, did not defend themselves. Number one, Joseph now. We're talking about Joseph, then I'll relate that to our Lord. Number one, the reason Joseph did not defend himself was, number one, for the sake of another. Joseph was silent for the sake of another. You see, had he spoken up, and had his testimony been believed, he would have robbed his master of his wife. And he will not destroy his master's wife to save himself. Have you ever heard that old country song that goes along that line? Where the judge brings the the prisoner up and asks him where he was and what he was doing. He said, I I couldn't speak up, though it meant my life. Because that night I had been with my best friend's wife. You ever heard that? These country songs, I think some of them are writing them out of experience. What about our Savior? What about our Savior? Why was our Lord silent? Well, listen, he was here. Jesus Christ came here to redeem his people, to redeem his bride, to redeem the new Jerusalem. Joseph refused to rescue himself for much the same reason that our Lord refused to rescue himself for the sake of another. Certainly in both cases, the one rescued did not deserve it. Potiphar's wife didn't deserve to be rescued, and the Lord rescued us, and we certainly did not deserve to be rescued. But had the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll hear this again this morning, had he defended himself, we'd have to perish in our sins. Number two, second reason why Joseph didn't defend himself was faith and trust. That is, the second major reason Joseph allowed himself, suffered himself to be wronged, was because he was trusting in the sovereign providence and power of the God that he obviously believed was in charge of his situation. Was it the same? It was the same with our Lord, wasn't it? He was here to do the Father's will, and there he was completely resigned to the Father's will. And if Jesus had defended himself, that would be tantamount, that'd be equivalent to complaining against it. You know what he said to Pilate in John 19:11? Pilate said, don't you answer me, you answer me, because I've got the power to put you to death, or I've got the power to pardon you, let you walk out of here a free man. And Jesus replied to him, you can have no power at all over me, except it were given thee from above. What do you call that? You call that trusting in the providence and power of God. Did he not say to the Jewish chief priest, and the captains of the temple, and the elders who came out to arrest him, Luke 22:52 and 53, have you come out as though I am a thief with swords and staves? Listen now, but this is your hour and your delegated authority of the power of darkness to act. He's saying, you have divine permission to carry these things out and to treat me, as you are by divine authority. You see, the only authority in the universe is God. All the authority we have is delegated authority. Mayors and governors and presidents and kings and queens and prime ministers and senators and congressmen all have delegated authority for which they will be held responsible. And parents have delegated authority for whence they will be held responsible. All authority comes from God, and Jesus said, My Father has delegated this authority to you, and given the power of darkness, the freedom to carry this out. Just as the Lord gave Satan power over Job, just as he gave Joseph over to Mr. Potiphar to put in prison. The father gave the powers of darkness authority to do what they did to his son. You think about it. Though our Lord had all power in heaven and in earth, this is what it says. I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 in your Bibles, please. It says, when he was reviled, he reviled not again, but he suffered, and when he suffered rather, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him that judges righteously. See if you can find First Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter 2. Chapter 2. So let me say it again. Had our Lord defended himself, the scriptures could not be fulfilled. The people of God could not be saved. Listen to him when the mob, intent on arresting him, our Lord Jesus, approached and Peter pulled out his sword to defend him. Remember that? Listen to his words. I'm reading now. For Matthew 26, do you not think that I cannot now pray to my Father and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels? I could pray and be delivered, but listen to his next statement. But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled which say this must happen? That's in Matthew chapter 26, 53 and 54. The purpose of God is built, the purpose of God in history is built on two invincible pillars, providence and power. Our God rules by providence and power. Nothing can happen He doesn't know about, and nothing can befall us that the Lord cannot by His power overthrow or make a way of escape from. The third major reason for suffering in silence is the divine pattern and example. Don't forget the first reason. The first reason was for the sake of another. The second reason was because he was trusting the Lord. And the third reason is because he wanted to establish a divine pattern and example for us who believe. Now in 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2, notice what he says here in verse 21. He says, here you have been called. Well, what are we called for? Well, let's read the whole thing. Go back to verse 18. I'll read all of these again for you in just a moment. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to those who are harsh. Well, that's totally against my nature, against my fleshly nature, against my Adamic nature. You get me, my fleshly nature says, I'm going to get you. That's not what it says here. This is a tough lesson, didn't I warn you? This is thankworthy, verse 19, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief and suffer wrongfully. What glory is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently, but if when you do well and suffer for it, and you take that patiently, this is acceptable with God. And this is where I began a moment ago at verse 21, for... Here, even here unto were you called. You were called to faith in Christ to do this. For Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. He did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. And when he suffered, he did not threaten. He committed himself to him that judges righteously. Now listen to me. The Lord purposely, our Lord Jesus Christ on purpose, and Joseph unintentionally has left us an example of how we are to walk in this world. We are plainly told in verse 50, verse 21 that we are to follow in His steps. John says it like this in 1 John. He said, He that saith, I know him, ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. Put your money where your mouth is. Now, I trust you, Lord, except... When somebody's out to get me, I'm sorry. Huh? I tell you what we better remember. We better remember this. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. And when you get in the way and you start trying to be God's whipping boy, he's going to whip you. That's right. I know about that. I know about it. I'm talking out of experience here. We're called, verse 21, to follow in His steps. So we're not left in the dark regarding the opposition we will face in this world and how we ought to withstand it. We are called to follow in the steps of the Lord. And when that path leads us into trouble with this world, we are to do as He did. We are to follow His example. This takes divine assistance and courage because it's a natural response to take revenge. Let's read again, verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters. With all fear. A lot of talk today about servitude. People claiming they are not going to be in servitude to other folks. And I agree with you. I think slavery is wrong, I think servitude is wrong, but that's not the issue here. The issue is, what are you going to do when you find yourself in a situation and somebody else has power over you? What are you going to do about it? It says here, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward, those who are harsh, not just the ones that are good, so we're trying to make brownie points with them. Verse 19, this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering it wrongfully. What glory is it, verse 20, if when you are beaten for your faults, you take that patiently. But if when you do well and you suffer for it and you take that patiently, this is acceptable to God. My friend... We're reading today about Joseph, and we're we're exalting him up there pretty high. We're exalting him up there as an example of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what did he do? He did exactly what Peter says here. See that little phrase, following in his steps? That includes being subject to the masters of your situation even if he or she is, and in the King James Version it says froward, and I interpreted it for you harsh. It it is the Greek word skolios, and it means perverse, wicked, crooked, and unfair. You got a perverse, wicked, crooked, and unfair boss, or somebody that has power over you, what are you going to do about it? If we're still in doubt or in disbelief of what is being taught, we're told that this means and includes enduring grief for conscience sake, that is to say, though we have done nothing wrong, we endure the wrong done to us. There is no glory, there is no room to boast, he says, for patiently suffering a well-deserved beating or rebuke, verse 20. But if we do well, if we do the right thing in the sight of God, and we suffer for it, which is what Joseph is doing, but we take it patiently, he says, this is acceptable to our God second phrase of verse 20. If we do well, if when we do well and suffer for it, and you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. Now, my friends, listen to me. I'm not trying to make a Christian out of you, because only God can do that. And I'm not trying to browbeat those of you who are Christians because you have failed miserably in this area. You're looking at the greatest failure in this building today. I told you last week that my unfaithfulness does not mean that God is unfaithful. He is faithful to his promises. He is faithful to his covenant. He is faithful to the blood of his Son, He will deal with me. He will chastise me. He will correct me. He will rebuke me. He'll get me in line with his will because the only place of peace in a fallen world is to come to the place where you can say, Not my will, but thine be done. Joseph allowed himself to be wronged. Why? For the sake of another, Because he was trusting in the power and the providence of God, and therefore, though he lived thousands of years before the Messiah came, he set an example of conduct that pleases the Father that is spoken of by the New Testament writers who were guided by the Holy Spirit. Joseph lived before the scriptures were completed. He lived before the Holy Spirit was given. And you know what Joseph does for us? He leaves us absolutely no excuse. That's what he does. Joseph can rise up in judgment and condemn all of us. Because, my friends, listen, as I said earlier, if the Lord Jesus Christ had not allowed himself to be ill-treated, and lied about, and slandered, if he had allowed, not allowed himself to have all this wrong done to him for our sakes, we would have to be put into hell. We'd have to die in our sins. But Jesus endured it for the sake of another. So, Who's the other person that we endure it for? Well, it's for the sake of our Savior. <laughs> it's for the sake of our Savior. It is in order that He might be glorified through our following His example. It does say that, does not it? And let me point it out to you again. It says, leaving us an example, verse 21. It says, you will call to this, verse 21. Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. He never sinned. This sin in verse 22 doesn't just refer to his life in general. It refers to the fact that when he was undergoing this this unjust suffering and all of this punishment, for no reason other that he bore it for another, he did no sin Neither was guile found in his mouth. Look at verse 23. When he was reviled, when he was cursed, he did not revile again. Same to you, fella. (laughs) You ever done that? Somebody says something to you there in the car next to you, and you say, Same to you. (laughs) Yeah, that's what happens when we're in the flesh. That's what happens. But what did the Lord Jesus do? It says, when he was reviled, he didn't revile again. It says, secondly, when he suffered, he did not threaten. He didn't rise up and say, do you know who I am? I'm the Son of God, and I'm going to put you all in hell. I'm tired of fooling with you. Father, I'm tired of him. No, he suffered for our sakes that we could be saved. He took our hell that we could have his heaven. And let me tell you what your goal in life is as a Christian. Your goal in life is to, by the grace of God, impersonate, imitate, and pray to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Bible tells us, and I'll tell you this, let's just turn over to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. This is the predestinating purpose of God. He's going to make us like His Son, and guess when He begins? He doesn't begin in Heaven when we're glorified. We're going to be perfectly conformed. He begins now in this world, and that means then that all of the trials and all of the troubles and all of the things that come our way can be the tool of our God to conform us to the image of Christ, and what does that mean? What does it mean when it says Christ, we're to be conformed to the image of Christ? What is the image of Christ? Well, Christ was always subject to his Father's will. He always sought his Father's will. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. He always sought his Father's will. Father, I always do those things that please you, he said. That's what he's doing. And when we are conformed to His image, we come to that attitude. Here in Ephesians, He tells us that we have been chosen, Ephesians 1 verse 4, we have been chosen that we should be what? Holy and without blame. Now, I know in the absolute sense that means that we have to stand in Christ. That's the only way I can stand before God totally without blame is because I'm standing in Christ and I have absolutely holiness in Him. Then it says, He has predestinated us, verse 5, to be adopted. In the state that I came from, my parents could kick me out of their will. But they couldn't kick my adopted brother out. When I was 11 years old, my parents adopted a two year old. And the laws of the state of Georgia say my parents didn't have to leave me anything, but it says they had to leave him something. He was adopted. (laughs) And here it says, and this, this doctrine of adoption is only a new testament, a new covenant. Doctrine, it's not found in the Old Testament. He says that he has adopted us as children of Jesus Christ, and he did that according to the pleasure of his will. Verse 6, he did that to the praise of the glory of his grace. He has made us accepted in the beloved. We are accepted in Christ. He says in verse 7, we have redemption to his blood. That Redemption comes from an old word, means to be bought off the slave market that we've been bought off the slave market, just like Joseph was bought, and we've been bought by the blood of Christ, and this results in the forgiveness of our sins, and it's all because of the riches of His grace. And then verse 8, He has abounded toward us in wisdom and prudence. He's teaching us. He's teaching us what His will is. He's showing us what pleases Him, which we're learning this morning. He's making known unto us the mystery of His will, verse 9. That in the dispensation of times, verse 10, he might be able to show us off. That's what that means. He might gather together in one all things which are in Christ, heaven, things that are in heaven, things on the earth, and he's going to show us off. And we have obtained an inheritance, verse 11, we are written into the will of God That inheritance is predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will. That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, verse 13, the gospel of your salvation, in whom after you believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And that Holy Spirit of promise is, verse 14, it is the earnest. You know what earnest money is? When you buy a a house, you want to put down a down payment. Or when you buy a car, it is the earnest money of our inheritance. Giving us the Spirit of the Lord, and giving us all these other things, an understanding of His will, giving us a spiritual ability to understand spiritual things, is an indication of the guarantee. It's the earnest money of our inheritance until the full redemption of the purchased possession is done to the praise of his glory. Now all of this, and he goes on and says about a lot, he tells us about a lot of other things that we have. And then when he gets in chapter 2, he tells us that it is the purpose of God to conform us to the image of of his own dear son, in other words, to make us like his son, I'll not go through chapter two as though uh, as I have uh, generally with with chapter One, but you read it yourself, and you're going to find that the Bible teaches here that God is going to conform us to the image of his son, and what does that mean it means that I'm going to become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to fail, I'm going to fall, but what I told you a week or so ago was when you fall, what do you do? You get up. You dust yourself off and you pursue that goal again. Hebrews 12:14, follow peace. Follow after peace. Follow after peace. And holiness, there it is on the board for you, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. My dear friends, it is tough. In fact, I think it is impossible for us to do this except by the amazing grace of God. Joseph is an example of a person who suffered in silence. And in doing so, he gained the victory over slander, over lies. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the same thing. He did the same thing, of whom Joseph is a type. And we come along, and we need to pray and ask the Lord to help us to be willing to be wronged. So people say this about you, and they say that about you, and they lie on you, and they do this and that and the other, and it seems like that the more you try to serve the Lord, the more trouble you have. Just keep looking to Him. Keep trusting in Him, and I promise you, in His own good time, He'll burn you up. For I will be with thee, thy troubles to bless and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. The flames shall not hurt thee. I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. May the Lord add his blessings on his word. Let's stand together. Where is our victory? Our victory is in our Lord Jesus Christ. Our victory is not even in what we think we know or what we've experienced, or who we are related to, our victory is in the Lord Jesus Christ. We can have victory in Him. As I say with Paul, thanks be to God which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. My dear friends, all of us have failed in this area that I've talked to you about today. It's not altogether fun Think about it, but you know where I get the fun part. You know, I get the fun part when I remember that the Lord Jesus redeemed me because He suffered Himself to be wronged. That's why I can praise the Lord for a lesson like this. May the Lord help you. May the Lord bless you. Is my prayer. All right, Sue, we'll sing the song. Under the blood of Jesus, safe in the shepherds fold Under the blood of Jesus Safe while the age. Blood of Jesus, I am secure. Now remember, when you when you look at Joseph's life, you see how it all came out. He ended up. He's going to end up being the governor of Egypt. I promise you, you're going to come out all right. Don't stay up at night worrying about what people are doing, what people are saying. You just keep your eyes on Christ and you serve Him. And you go back and you read that passage in Peter all the time where it says He has set us an example that we should follow in His steps. Not just talk about it. Not just say, oh, that's a great doctrine, but do it. The Lord said do you love me? And I said, we love you. He said, keep my words. If you love me, keep my word. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Oh, we fail, we fail daily, but take heart, he forgives. <laughs> he forgives, praise his name. Father in heaven, I call upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us, who gave himself for us, who now gives us his spirit, teaching us his word and his will, and giving us the strength by his grace, though we falter, though we fall often, to continue looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, despised the cross, Endured the shame. Oh, Father, make us into the image of the Lord Jesus. We desire to be like him. Give us the spirit of Christ that we might walk in the way of Christ and do the will of Christ. He is our God. He is our Lord. He's our Savior. He's our Redeemer. And he's our friend. Now may the blood of Christ, God's Son, bless you keep you. May the blood of the everlasting covenant be upon you, and may God in his mercy work every good work in you for his honor, for his glory, and for his precious name's sake, even the name of our Lord Jesus Christ.